Welcome back to the podcast. Super excited for this one because I got some feedback on what you want to hear in this podcast. I posted a question on my Instagram asking what did you want to cover? What topics did you want to hear? Now my Instagram is at financially frank, the same as it reads on this title of the podcast, but no spaces. So I got some good responses. A lot of the responses were specific stock tickers, which I will review in this and next podcast, but Someone posed a more theoretical question, and I'm excited to get started with that today. Now, the gentleman that posted it um, was or is called the Intelligent Investor on Instagram, underscores in between all that, and his question was diversification. Is it needed? Now, love this question. I think there's a lot of topics and a lot of conversations about this, and for the average investor all the way to the the advanced investor, this is something that could be discussed. So super excited to get started and let's jump into it. So first off, what does it mean to be diversified? So I found a couple different definitions. One stated the process of a business enlarging or varying its range of products or field of operation. Now that's for the business. Now for the investor, In financial terms, diversification is the process of allocating capital in a way that reduces the exposure to any one particular asset or risk. A common path towards diversification is to reduce risk or volatility by investing in a variety of assets. Now, I got that definition from Google, and I think that's a pretty accurate one. Diversification is to diversify your assets or money to multiple areas in order to reduce or with the goal to reduce risk. Now, I did a lot of research on this topic and just wanted to find out, hey, where did did diversification come from? When did it start? And I stumbled on this um, investor page and it was called AberdeenStandard.com and they are Aberdeen Standard Investments. There was an identified cuneiform and yes i had to look up how to say that word which is a cuneiform is the earliest system of writing invented by the sumerians in ancient mesopotamia so it is distinguished by its large shapes marks on clay tablets made by means of blunt reed for a styles so the term cuneiform comes or cuneiform comes from census or sunus, um, the Latin for wedge. Now, apparently, there was a 4,000-year-old cuneiform that was found in modern-day Turkey. Now, this tablet described the trading activities of merchants back then, 4,000 years ago. Or it was described as there was partnerships amongst merchants. These partnerships seemed to be for years long and would be involved in the financing of caravans. And these caravans were exporting textiles and returning back with silver. So it also mentioned that investors would diversify their risk by investing with or in more than one partnership. So that is the earliest sign of diversification. That's that's long back enough for me. I mean, that's 4,000 years ago. Now, a little bit more recently, there's been some talk about 
this big, big arena of insurance, the insurance industry. And it dominated the institutional investors for 150 years, allegedly. And from my research, it makes sense. The insurance industry is a great industry. And from its expansion from the early 19th century to the middle of the 20th century, they've just destroyed the competition. Reason is diversification. They diversified their risk across a pool of policyholders, which in the end of the day provided the foundations for their industry. Their investment strategy focused on minimal or minimizing their risk. This provided scope for diversification. So in the second half of the 19th century, insurance companies switched from the public to private credit markets to insure or in search of higher returns. Now, I just stated that and that is literally me reading what was on that website and it makes sense. If you own your insurance company or if you own an insurance company like Geico owned is owned by uh, Berkshire Hathaway, you're doing pretty well and you have done pretty well. After that, there was a publication written by Harry Markowitz. He wrote about the portfolio selection. This was written in 1952. Markowitz's work provided the mathematical underpinnings for portfolio optimization. So this book helped provide investors with a tool to build a portfolio situated with the goal of maximizing your expected return based on the level of risk you were were looking for. The typical term and, um, well, so the U.S. used this model and the U.S. pension funds used this model. And as a starting point, they converged on that mix of 60% equities and 40% bonds. Overall, it broadened their horizons among other asset classes and still with the goal of measuring themselves against some type of benchmark to ensure some type of return, aka diversification, reducing the risk while still hopefully having a good return. This website then goes into, which is a financial investor website, goes into diversification 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, and then 5.0 with a question mark. And then they also talk about the benefits and limits of diversification. Now, all of this is pretty well stated in here, and I didn't feel like it was necessary to share because nothing really stood out to me as important. It was more strategies that they say one would use for depending on what you're looking for. So that's something I'm happy to go into if someone has more questions about it. But I wanted to go into my own thoughts after reading kind of a a background of diversification. So in my opinion, and in what I practice, I, I am diversified. I buy several things in different markets, and I, I definitely don't just own five stocks. I own about 30. Personally, I think that's more because I just haven't sold much, and I just buy, and at different times, I buy and hold and buy and hold. I actually, I'm looking to kind of consolidate and focus my, my efforts a little bit more, and I have um, a newfound opinion on diversification. In my opinion, diversification is good and bad. I don't personally want to diversify too much, but I also believe it can be useful for others. Now, this is what I mean. I've come to the conclusion that 
The need to diversify is dependent on your certainty level. Now, if I was to have a graph in front of you, and you visualize this, you'll have certainty on the x-axis and diversification on the y-axis. So, in my opinion, certainty and diversification are inversely proportional. What I mean is, when, when you have a lot of certainty, you don't need to diversify so much. But if you're not too certain about where you want to put your money, diversification may help you. Now, more specifically, let's say you know, example, a company is going to do very well. You know their, their country, their industry, and what they do. You believe in this company. You know their management, and you, you believe that they will specifically do well. So you invest. You can put your eggs in, in one basket, so to speak. If you don't know that company is going to do well, but you believe in the industry they're, they're in, let's say cloud software. You believe in cloud software, but you're not sure who's going to be the winner just of yet. You're not certain. So you can invest and diversify amongst many companies, but within that industry. So you're certain about the industry, just not certain about the company. Let's say you have no idea what industry you think is going to do well. And you even want to back up even further into maybe just an, a country. You believe in the United States. So you want to diversify in some of the top companies in the United States. No specific industry, even to the fact that you might invest in every industry to be so diversified. As well as overall markets. Now, in my opinion, I don't think you can ever be 100% certain and you can never be 100% diversified. Conversely, I don't think you could ever be 0% certain, and I don't think you can ever be 0% diversified. The reason I say that is I don't believe anybody can be 100% certain about anything. You can be close, and I don't think you can be 0% certain. I don't think you might have a little bit of like a 0.1. You're like, I think this will do well, but I have no idea. And the same thing with diversification. I don't think you can be 0% diversified, meaning all your money is in one place. Let's say you put all your money in bonds or stocks, and it's one stock. You buy Apple. The second you get paid from your work and any money hits your bank account, you are now not diversified fully, or you are not fully 0% diversified. And on the opposite side, being 100% diversified, I don't even know what that means, that you're fully diversified like every dollar is in something else there's no two dollars in one place or you just bought everything in the whole world you own a little bit of everything so these these two are actually very well balanced in my opinion and i think it makes sense if you're certain about something then there's less of a reason to be diversified now granted that certainty should be judged and you should be critical of that certainty you have. You should put it through some stress test, so to speak. Now, if you're not certain, that's when diversification can help you. In my opinion, the, the question that was posed to me, which was a great question, diversification, is it needed? I actually think yes. It's almost always needed for everyone 
because to some degree you will be diversified. To what degree is up to you. To what degree is up to your certainty level. And at the end of the day, for some it's lower and some it's higher. And hence why you have the option to buy the overall market. And in, in my opinion, and as Warren Buffett has also stated, if you're not certain or if you don't care to be certain and do the research, just buy the overall market. You're very diversified. And apparently you'll do well over time. And like I said, the opposite, if you are if you know something, maybe that everyone else doesn't know, or if you see something that makes you certain, hey, everyone I know owns an Apple iPhone. I'm certain Apple will do well for at least the next three to five years. I'm going to buy Apple. Granted, you can be wrong. Hence why some diversification is never a bad idea. But it all is dependent on your certainty level. So, on that, I would love to pivot. And please take a moment if you'd like. Comment. You can, I don't know if you can comment on here, but shoot me a, a DM or find my Instagram. Say, Frank, disagree entirely. Or, Frank, that makes sense. Can you dive into that further? These questions have been helpful, and I appreciate people communicating back and forth with me on topics. So, now that we had a topic that we just discussed, would love to hear what you guys think. And if you'd like me to put out more information about it, happy to do so. Now I would like to pivot into a stock someone had actually mentioned. So Dan on Instagram, he had mentioned NVIDIA, stock ticker NVDA. He asked me to do some research. So I took my time, did my normal research. I have a couple questions I always run through, and I'm going to let you know about them. So if you are a longtime investor or if you've done some research, you might actually know this company. If you don't, I'm happy to introduce you to them now. So they are in the sector of technology. They specifically focus on semiconductors. They have over 13,000 employees, and NVIDIA right now is the world's leading server manufacturer. And right now they actually announced that they have this A100-powered system that will be in a variety of designs and configurations to tackle the most complex challenges in AI, data science, and scientific computing. Now, I personally don't know what all that actually means, but I've heard of AI, I understand what data science and scientific computing is, and that's why I decided to do some more research because in the end of the day, what are these things used for? That'll help me get a better understanding. So the company's products are used in gaming, professional visualizations, data centers, and the automotive markets. NVIDIA Corporation, and this is taken exactly from Yahoo Finance, sells its products to original equipment manufacturers, original device manufacturers, system builders, add-in board manufacturers, retail-slash-distributors, internet and cloud service providers, automotive manufacturers, and Tier 1 automotive suppliers. There's also a couple more, but in general, they service a lot of markets. And it is in the technology space. So, it's in a good market, in my opinion. Usually do very well, had good profit margins. Now to quickly check their chart. I always go to the chart first after reading about them because in the end of the day, the chart doesn't lie. So I start with the five-year chart. Chart's pretty solid. Yeah, there's a little bump in the middle, you know, down and then up. But overall, it's been a really good return in the past five years. Over a 1,660% return in five years. I'm not complaining to own that. 
Now, they are towards the the high ever. And while they have found that stability bouncing off of the SMA 200 line, which is the simple moving average, which calculates the average of selected prices over that range, usually the closing prices, and overall it's a technical indicator that can aid in determining if an asset will continue or reverse a bull or bear trend. Now that's a straight definition just to explain what SMA means, if I ever mention it again. So in my opinion, it's trending away from both these lines in the sense that it has bounced off the 50-day moving average and the 200-day moving average. And it's priced pretty high based off those two and some other indicators as well. So that's the chart. Now, just looking at the P-E ratio, which is a quick snapshot to be able to tell how a company's priced, their P-E ratio is 68. So a P-E ratio is the price to earnings ratio. This is the ratio valuing a company that measures its current price relative to how much they earn per share. The price per earning ratio is also sometimes known as a price multiple or earnings multiple. So to kind of simplify that into an example, let's say I, I run an Apple stand and I personally all year have a revenue or total, total money in of $200 per year. Yes, I know it's really low, but let's keep it simple. Now, out of that $200, I have to spend something in order to have the, to have the apples, the stand, and it costs me something. So for a full year, I make and earn $100. Now, if someone was to come buy a piece of my Apple stand, or they were offering me a piece of my Apple stand, at this current price per earnings, I'm currently earning $100. Depending on how many shares I have, that would be a little bit of a difference, but if someone wanted to buy my Apple stand at this current P ratio of NVIDIA of 68, it would mean that they're going to pay $680 to buy a piece or my Apple stand, which only makes $100 a year. Does that seem like a good deal? In my opinion, no. It would take you 68 years to get your money back. If someone else was going to come if someone else wasn't going to come buy that Apple stand back from you and pay a higher multiple or just more down the line, or maybe you were able to increase the revenue and profit. But if at the current state, it would take you 68 years to get that money back. Now, that's a very simplified example. And P ratios do help indicate something. And I was always taught that a, a normal or an average P ratio is 20. Over, over 20 is considered a little bit rich, under 20 is considered a little undervalued and a good deal. Now, that's just what I have come to know. But overall, when I read about it on Google, it says a high P ratio shows that invest investors are willing to pay a higher price today because of the growth expectations in the future. The average PE for an SAP 500 historically has ranged from $13 or 13 to 15 for example, a company which has a current PE of 25 above the average trades at 25 times per earnings. Now, I took that exactly from Google when I researched and tried to define what PE ratio is. 
Now, NVIDIA, when looking at an article they posted, or an article posted about them, it shows that they are overvalued based on earnings compared to the U.S. semiconductor industry and the average of that industry. Now, that's not comparing the whole market. They're saying, hey, we took the industries, U.S. semiconductors. NVIDIA is overvalued in comparison to them. The average overall industry is about $32 or 32 PE ratio. The overall market is a little bit lower, more at the 20, maybe 18 PE ratio. So fundamentally, when you look at them, they're actually going in the right direction based after everything I just said, it's still they're still doing the right things fundamentally when you look at their books. They're growing. While last quarter was a little bit of a downtrend, but I can imagine that was due to just the market. And they also have a great cash position. They have $16 billion in cash versus $7 billion in debt. It's pretty good, especially for a tech company. So overall, fundamentally, they look solid. They continue to do what they're doing, continue to be the number one in their space. Everything looks really good for them. Next, I look at the news. What's going on with them? So I saw a couple different articles. Something stood out that, you know, they have this A100 that can boost performance by up to 20 times in comparison to its predecessors. So they're doing very well with this GPU um, product they have. Now, they also, I saw an article about them having maybe a multi-billion dollar opportunity in the automotive driving space with Mercedes-Benz. So that's something I saw that caught my eye and I think that'd be very interesting. Bank of America securities analyst, her name is Vivek or Vivek Aria. She maintained a buy rating on NVIDIA at $420 per share. So if we were to take her word for it, there's actually some room to go. It's currently priced at $366. Now, granted, there's a lot of good things going for them. It is kind of towards the high it's ever been. And while price target is nice, it doesn't mean it's going to actually happen. Now, overall, there's a lot that's going on and in their favor. And analysts see that in the near term, there might be some financial implications. But NVIDIA's full stock or full stack of autonomous products could win them a big deal. Apparently, it could unlock a $700 billion total addressable market in this autonomous vehicle AI space, which apparently is only 5% of NVIDIA's revenue now. So granted, the market is $700 billion. It doesn't mean that they will get all of that, but if they're the leader in the space and they maybe continue to develop alongside these AI and their vehicle and these vehicle companies, which we're definitely seeing the trend, there's no doubt that we are seeing a trend in autonomous vehicles. Could they jump on for that ride and now have this newfound revenue that they can tap into. Now, for me personally, I don't want to buy this stock at this time. I don't think it makes sense to buy a stock at 68P ratio, no matter how much upside it has. Granted, it's also the situation we're in now that makes me say that. I don't know if the current state of the market will continue, but I don't see, even if it stops today and everything goes back to normal, companies have been hit. 
their balance sheets will be hit. Their revenue will be hit. So granted, this company seems like they're they're well prepared for the future, any future, but the people that buy their products might not be. I personally would wait. I would definitely 100% have this on your watch list. If you own it, I don't know. I'd, I'd probably hold, to be honest with you. If you don't own it, yeah, if you if you think you can go up, maybe buy a few shares. I wouldn't go unload the dump truck on this one just yet. And if you've owned it for a while, let's say those five years, I personally would sell for sure right now. It is at the high, one of the highest ever. If you did just make that a, a thousand... 660% on your money, you sell it. I mean, or sell some of it because the market itself, even if this company does amazing, the overall market will pull this stock down if it, the market goes down, regardless of how they're doing. So that's my two, two cents on it. I really like this company. I really like what I read. I give it a double thumbs up for sure. They're going to be around for a while based on what I'm reading. And I've heard of them before. This is not the first time I reviewed them. And I'm honestly kicking myself that when I did review them, they were definitely not as, as highly priced. I just can't get over the P ratio. And that's my own personal problem. But that's it. Dan, thank you for the comment and the question. The Intelligent Investor, I don't know your real name, but thank you for the question. I really enjoyed this podcast. Really enjoyed this episode. I, I tried to go a little bit more depth, even giving you definitions. Not sure what you guys thought, but the goal is to kind of provide as much value as possible. I got some feedback that, hey, why would I want to listen to something if I feel like I just didn't learn anything? That's definitely not the goal of this podcast, and hopefully today was different. So with that being said, feel free, follow me on Instagram, at Financially Frank. You can follow me on Twitter, which I'm trying to use more. I have a YouTube if you want, if you go on at Financially Frank, you'll see a link that will take you to all my different platforms. The goal is to provide service and value to you. Like I said last time, I'm not doing this just for myself. Thank you for listening. And as always, the discussion in today's podcast is my personal opinion. I may have interest in the stocks I talk about. Therefore, I do not endorse anyone to buy or sell stocks based on what they hear. Granted, I don't own NVIDIA. Do I wish I did? Absolutely. But this podcast is for information purposes only, not for the purpose of providing specific financial advice. You may want to seek out a financial professional to obtain financial advice. Thank you guys. Have a good one.